Gosser here with Matt Howell. And this week on the first run, we bear witness to the last desperate gasp before the death rattle of the DCEU with Blue Beetle. Is this the definitive entry of the DCEU? The yardstick in which all the other entries are measured against? Maybe, maybe not. But honestly, who gives a shit at this point? As always, we run down the big releases on physical media, give you our straight-to-DVD and streaming picks of the week, then wrap up this episode with our five favorite legacy superheroes. It'll make sense at the time, I promise. So let's fire up the DCEU franchise for its pin-ultimate entry with Blue Beetle. What is he talking about? He's talking about this. <gasps> oh, I forgot how bad it looks. I've seen worse. Where? You don't want to know. Okay. What the hell is this thing? It's it's called the Scarab. It was given to my dad when I was a kid. Um, it's some kind of a world-destroying weapon. Oh, that's nice. Wow. nice. She says... What? And did you know what was going to happen to my brother? When you stuck him with this world-destroying thing? No, I swear to you, I had no idea this would happen. Uh, oh, I mean, come on. My father said it can't be activated by just any person. He has to choose you. So I'm guessing it's chosen you. And it's chosen us, Matt. Here we go. Blue Beetle is here. Now, I've heard conflicting things as well that it's kind of the transitionary step okay. into uh, the new DCU that James Gunn is handling. I hadn't heard that, but to be quite honest with you, it's not like I was looking into it at all. So <laughs> I just assumed that there would be a lot of fanfare when the first official James Gunn-verse thing came out. And since... I had heard really nothing like that here. I didn't think that it was going to happen. Yeah, I think this... Well, yeah, I don't think this was produced and created under his reign, but I think it's... It's certainly... I'm I'm wondering if it was edited at all, if there was any guest appearances that were pulled out or mm -hmm. something as well. But there's mentions of, what, Superman and Batman, right? Mm -hmm. And is that the, it? The Flash. Sure. Um, I, yeah, I think it was... They mentioned The Flash, Superman, and Batman, yeah. Okay. So... Let's not get ahead of ourselves, Matt. What is Blue Beetle all about? Jaime Reyes is a recent college graduate. He comes home to find out that his family is struggling. His dad has had a heart attack. They're losing their house. They are they lost their family business. So he decides that he is going to get a job and help out. And he meets a young woman who's very wealthy, goes to her family company where he runs into her as she is rushing out of the building and she gives him a mysterious package tells him not to open it under any circumstances so of course what does he do he goes home and his his uh, sister convinces him to open it he does and inside is the scarab and it decides you know what this kid is the one i want to attach myself to and he becomes a vessel a conduit for a symbiotic alien technology and one thing we never really get to is why does it look like a beetle? Is there a, a, a race of space beetles that are sentient and stuff? Or is it just takes the shape of that because it was first here when, what, like Egyptian times when they had kind of more... Maybe? I don't know. I, I don't remember them really... I don't remember they the, don't. the answer for that. Maybe it's just a Stargate ripoff. Maybe all aliens are Egyptian, you know? Yeah, could very well be. Mm -hmm. I guess that makes sense, Matt. Let me ask you about Blue Beetle. Just a fresh face for the superhero block here, or have we just kind of dropped another generic superhero origin story this time with a a, a Hispanic Latin cultural sheen? Mm. Yeah, I I was initially excited for this. I like Blue Beetle in the comics. I like Booster Gold. I like them a lot together. This mm. was just eh. What's well, a different Blue Beetle? It is a different Blue Beetle. That's very true, but. I don't know, like this is all, again, it's like you said, it's just a lackluster superhero origin story. The action scenes are just kind of okay. I mean, they're milk toast. They look pretty good in the most part, but they didn't, I didn't find them particularly excited. I, I really found it hard to get invested in this thing. And I don't know hmm. why. The jokes, you know, they're, they're good. It gets maybe a little too silly at times, but I don't know. They're trying to kind of balance these things. The stakes are relatively low. And there are just things, there's nothing, there's no new ground being broken here. Like elements of this has all been pulled from the past, whatever it's been, 20 years of superhero films that we've been getting that they just kind of push it all together and it doesn't really break any new ground. I think that's fair. Does it fall under, I know there's a lot of people that disagree with us and that's fine. <laughs> 
that kind of like with the Black Panther thing where it's more culturally significant than it is good and entertaining as a film. This is the first Hispanic or Latin superhero lead. Yeah, I, I could say that's fair. I mean, I, I said the same thing. I went out on a limb even away from you that I would say the original Wonder Woman film is also not that great as a superhero film, but I think it's because it was significant, it gets a lot more fanfare. And I, granted, that doesn't mean every film has to be made for me. Not every film has to speak to me. But sure. if you know I'm sitting here being asked to give my opinion after watching it, I can definitively say... It's okay. Like, I, you know, I feel like, again, not to harp on quite possibly best uh, superhero series so far with, by hands down, the best, my favorite superheroes of all. But, I mean, we had, I mean, Miles Morales is obviously a, a, a you know, a Latino uh, superhero is, you know, mm-hmm. the, he's a Puerto Rican heritage and it doesn't play as big a role in this. Um, and, and those, and those films, but he's not, those are much better. I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's just, I'm not, I'm not being too harsh on this. Maybe I'm just grumpy and I'm just, and I just don't really, I just don't, I don't know. I just, I'm getting, I'm getting tired of the DCEU. Like it's just, un, it's just one underwhelming disappointment after another. And the one time they had something that I actually truly enjoyed. The follow-up was atrocious. And I just, I just, I'm done. Like, I don't want to watch these movies anymore. I just kind of want to set them aside. Let's move along. Let's see what the new thing is. Because I'm just had it with all this stuff. I apologize. Because as long as the show runs, we'll be seeing them. So I've condemned you to... Uh... <laughs> well, no. You've got, we've got Aquaman. And that's it. And that that is the end of the DCEU. And I'm hoping that this uh-huh. change in leadership can breathe some new life into characters that frankly deserve it but i mean this kind of run has just been it's just been one disappointment after another yeah well i think that's a fair assessment i could see though as soon as we started when the theme started rolling i could see matt's eyes and i'm like oh no he's either upset or tired or both so i felt bad for him but uh yeah okay i found it matt to be a pleasant surprise okay I actually enjoyed this a lot. I thought it was a lot of fun. I think it has charm to spare. I think it is kind of a generic origin story, but I think the family dynamic works really well. I think the emotional beats of the film are fully justified, and I think those work. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yes, it's not without its flaws, but having the family be the core of the film, I think it's much more engaging than any of those last 36 Fast and Furious films (laughs) that are all about family. Sure. Right, but I bought this much more than any of that kind of plastic cotton candy family type stuff. That is an absolutely fair assessment against the absolute lowest bar of a family that you could that you could put out there <laughs> in you. cinema. Thank you. Though there is no, uh, we have no Momoa level lead or villain in this, but that's that's fine. Susan Sarandon, who I always enjoy, is uh, still I'm gonna say getting it done as well, but. Uh, She's quite good as as the villain, and I enjoyed kind of the twist on the that family as well. Part of me wishes we could have gotten more of a, I don't know what presence by Ted Cord. Um, maybe he shows he he is the the uh, he comes out of hiding or whatever. I kept waiting for him basically to show up at the end. Yeah, like he had been there at that final location kind of the whole time or yeah. something. And then he kind of would act as a mentor. But we do get a little tease of that potentially in a sequel that probably will never happen. Right. But it's still, it's very enjoyable. It's it's fine. And I'll say this too, that Zolo, who plays Jaime Reyes, I know, I think he was on, what, the Karate Kid show, right? Yeah, he's, Cobra on, Kai? he's, in, he's in Cobra Kai. Yeah, he's like one of the main leads in Cobra Kai. This this I don't remember him in that show. No, and I have no. I I, I we watched the first like two or three seasons. And then Mrs. First Run just couldn't handle the violence anymore. Okay. When I guess maybe it was him, the kid that in one of them they had the school fight and nah, he, he falls, falls off. and yeah, that's him. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I want to say in this, this kid's got it. Yeah, he... I think this kid's going to be a star. I mean, he's got charm. He's got the looks. He's got. The humor, the, the everything. I I expect big things from this kid, and uh, I think he equates himself well as Jaime here and does a really good job. So I don't know. I just I'm watching this movie and I'm thinking that that kid's got it. Yeah, I that think again, certain. I don't know what. 
I think that's fair. I, I don't. I think he is, you know, a a you know fun to watch actor. I think he's got his his kind of niche and his his charms, and I agree with you. He delivers on those aspects, and you know, I, I think he's he's fine. But I this just it's nowhere near as bad a film. But it just strikes me as you know Ryan Reynolds and Green Lantern. Like why you know it's just it's just like a wasted potential kind of thing. Oh, I think it's just far more entertaining than the Green Lantern. I, I just, I literally said that before, before we started, but yes, yes, you're right. Oh, did you say that? You know what it was? I was, you're right. I was looking something up at that exact you're moment, right. so I do apologize. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to also ha- throw some praise on rural Max Trullo, who plays the OMAC guy, the Ignacio Carpax guy. Do you know, do you know what he, know what he, he's also, he's an actor, but you know what else he does? MMA? He's a professional dancer. Oh, nice. Pretty cool. Which I then I have to give him further credit because I would not have guessed that in a thousand years watching his performance as the heavy in this film. So, I, yeah. And you know who didn't drive me crazy and I was a little concerned he would? George Lopez. Mm. I think it's just the right amount sure. of George Lopez. Just enough. They, just enough. They run you straight up to the line and they screech they do. to a halt right there before they <laughs> Very go. Very much it. close yeah. to the line. Yeah. But overall, I think it worked. And I also say I I enjoyed the almost Vangelis-type score at times. You got heavy synths in this thing. And there's a couple times I could swear I heard like some Blade Runner in there or something. I don't know. But, uh, of course, if you, get, you have a good score, then I'm going to be give you a little extra point for that. Effects, Matt? Rock solid. I'm telling you, I think the special effects in this are much better than anything we've seen come out of the MCU in the past year plus. That's a low bar. Again, another low bar to set that against, but sure, fair. I'll take what I can get. I'll take what I can get. So, and I enjoyed the Latino cultural inferences, uh, references in the film. It's something different. I live in my homogenous, you know, almost translucently white life, mm-hmm. and I like dipping into other... It's like another thing, too, with that... What is it? That uh, um, horrible Conjuring film, yeah. The Curse of La Llorona. I love the idea of exploring other cultures' horrors and mm-hmm. kind of in that franchise. And I'd like to, it, it's just, just so wasted in that film. But this too, you get that. I think, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. It was, it was something, it was different enough for me to overcome its kind of simplistic, generic origin story. Yeah. I think for me, I think there is a bit of a couple things going on here. I think still, regardless of anything, I think this is probably easily. Top three, maybe top top five, definitely top three, maybe of DCEU films, which really says something about the broader yeah. the broader yep. DCEU. And I think a lot of it is because all of the superhero films that have really preceded this, except for what has come out earlier this year, has been miss after miss after miss, right? And I think if you had put this in front of me before I saw Guardians 3 or... Across the Spider-Verse, I would have probably enjoyed it much more because I think it is a much more competent superhero film than what Marvel or DC had been putting out before those films. But those two films really kind of really show you, oh yeah, when they're done right, these are these can be really great. And I, I just don't think we're there there. I think it's I think it's fine. It just doesn't break any new ground for me, and I was really hoping that it would. Yeah. No, that, that yeah. And well, I get that. Now I hear you. So I'm, I'm I'm researching again, Matt, real quickly here, and it looks like Gunn has confirmed Blue Beetle is part of the new wave. But is this Blue Beetle? Uh, is it, or is it he yes. gonna mess with it? Uh, it's a, uh, so it's, it was retrofitted into the DC universe. Retrofitted. Okay. Fair enough. So they did tweak some things here and there to kind of get it in there. So I guess. Yeah, and it's, you know what, it says here it was under the DCU and under the Saffron Company. Isn't that um, the name of it, too? That's the, because that's the guy who, uh, it's it's Gunn and Saffron, right, who mm-hmm. are leading the charge here. So, okay. So there you go, Matt. So, yeah, but, but it, I agree with you. It's probably top three when I'm looking at this thing and this list here. So you got Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, Justice League. Aquaman, Shazam, Joker. Nope, Joker's not part of that. Birds of Prey, Wonder Woman 84, Zack Snyder's Justice League, Suicide Squad, and the Batman's not part of that either. And then Black Adam, Shazam, Fury of the Gods, The Flash, 
Yeah, I yeah, I think that would I think it would be in my top three probably as well. And I'm happy to see, I guess, that he's going to be potentially in future DCU films. So that should be fun. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of potential with the character. I like the character. I like the actor. I think, I think you know, maybe they can just really kind of take it, you know, the step further now that they've gotten kind of all the, the backstory out of the way. They can kind of make it their own. I think it's right up a Gun's Alley, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll have to see. Yeah, well, it cost $100 million, $104 million to make. We're currently sitting at 46 So... Well, I mean, that's after one weekend, though, right? That's true. It's only been uh, a weekend. Yeah. Maybe we can uh, see things turn around a little bit. Maybe it won't have too big a drop. I think it's, though I read yesterday or today that Barbie overtook the number one spot uh, on Tuesday. Of, of all time? Day to day. Oh. No, no, no. Just because Blue Beetle knocked Barbie out of the number one spot. Gotcha. And then, but Barbie took over as of, I think, today. Well, Barbie's one of those weird films that people seem to be going to watch multiple times. Like, I don't know yeah. why, but, uh, you know, if you if you don't get repeat viewings, then you're just kind of dead as far as that kind of stuff goes. Yeah, we just have to hope, well, I guess I have to hope that Blue Beetle doesn't have like a 75% drop like uh, some of the greats in the right. DC uh, EU have had. Right. So, yeah, he's at, let's see, 665 for Monday, but that's Monday. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Next week is that's what I'll tell the tale. Matt B for Blue Beetle for me. B's all around. B's all around. Um, I'm gonna give it a C plus. Mm-hmm. The plus mm-hmm. is is elevating it enough to where I think it's got potential, but it's not there yet. Fair enough. And I didn't tell you, Matt, that this is a DCEU centric episode because we have the also the final segment. Mm-hmm. But there's also something coming out on physical media as well. But in the meantime, you can see Blue Beetle still in the theaters now. Uh, shoot us an email, feedback at thefirstrun.com. And let us know your thoughts. And Matt, this is coming up on physical media this upcoming Tuesday, August 29th. It's almost September. Where does the time go? At some point, you probably saw a movie that told you that if you went back and changed the past, you'd create a kind of a branched timeline, right? Look... New present, and new future. Yeah. Well, time doesn't work like that. That's not how time works. When you go back and change the past, you create a fulcrum. You put yourself on a whole nother strand of spaghetti. New future, new past. It's retrocausal. It goes both ways. Actually, it goes many ways. Maybe some other time. Okay, but in an ontological paradox model, there's not... What you did was you changed the future and you changed the past. If a person is stupid enough to mess with time, what you eventually end up with is this. The multiverse. Take that, MCU. That's right, Matt. Being released this upcoming Tuesday, August 29th. Wait, no, wait a minute. I just like the, <laughs> the, the discussion because I... I watched Endgame on TV the other night, and yep. that's basically the same discussion they have. Like, Don Cheadle sitting there, and, and Paul Rudd are talking about Back to the Future, and Tony Stark and, and the Hulk are saying, no, 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 it's like it's not like that. You can't have it like that. So I like this whole kind of just making stuff up about timelines and t- just to make it work for their film. Which, you know, as Babble goes, I guess it all makes sense, right? There you go. That works. All right. Good times. All right. But that's not, that's not my number five, Matt. This is Number five? It's going with Dry Longso from Criterion, a rediscovered treasure of the 90s do-it-yourself filmmaking, Matt. Colleen Smith's Dry Longso embeds an incisive look at racial justice or racial injustice within a lovingly handmade buddy movie murder mystery, murder mystery romance. Includes a brand new 4K restoration approved by Colleen Smith, new conversation with Smith, and some short films as well. And then, Matt, after that... New Fist of Fury, Jackie Chan's film is being released, a brand new 2K restoration, but a young man who sits out to avenge his grandfather's death and prove his martial arts mastery. Includes the 120-minute theatrical cut and the 82-minute 1980 re-release cut. We have some original Cantonese and English lossless audio, newly translated English subtitles, a new commentary, and more, Matt. Of course, we just heard... Get three coffins ready. Uh Huh? Number three is The Flash. You get Best Buy, you get a pretty sharp-looking steelbook if you're a steelbook guy. 
Walmart, Digipack, and then Target has a set that has four art cards and includes a six-part original scripted audio series called The Flash Escape the Midnight Circus featuring Max Greenfeld as The Flash. Some deleted scenes, some feature rights on each of the characters, making The Flash worlds collide. Maybe somebody does like a good five-minute apology for the special effects. I'm not sure. But you can pick up The Flash as well. Looks like we're shy of one horse. <laughs> you brought two too many. Matt, I don't know if I want to buy a steel book for this. Sometimes you got to gamble. Eventually stuff does get put out in traditional 4K, but sometimes it doesn't. Like my limey mm. steel book mm-hmm. is still the only 4K here in the States. Infinity Pool, the uncut version, Matt, is available via a steel book purchase in 4K. Includes the fully uncut presentation of the film, audio commentary by Cronenberg, some feature rights on the making of, stuff on the uh, special effects, and uh, more. Matt, were you picking up uh, Infinity Pool at some point? Oh, boy. It would have to be really, really low price to have to listen to be a goth. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Try and find it. I know. I'm <laughs> looking for it. I'm looking for it. Because you don't have There it is. Which one do you want to hear? I'll give you a short one. Thanks. Yeah! Jamesy! Oh, it's just a long one. Come on! Come on, little baby! That's the long one. I haven't played that for you in a while. I know. I hate it so much. I hate it so much. <laughs> much so much <laughs> so i would have to like i said i'd have to be in the right frame of mind and have to be pretty damn cheap yeah eh, all right i had actually pre-ordered this on amazon of course you did but it was like 30 bucks or 25 bucks but i'm like i don't i don't want steelbook i don't want it mm. and then i had to uh and i wanted to buy something else so i'm like you know what we'll cut that we'll get something else over here instead Very so good. But I did just pre-order a steelbook from Best Buy because I actually, of course, I'm blanking on it now, which is just sad. I thought at one point, too, doing like a, a video stream of just showing all the stuff that I've purchased that I have yet to open. <laughs> and then just being terminally embarrassed by it. I'm trying to think what it was. You know, I'm just going to pull it up real fast, Matt. And then because maybe I should just cancel that order as well. Oh, oh, I, I told you about this. The, the Megan set. Yeah, yeah, yeah you did. Last week. Because I think it looks pretty sharp, and it's got the user's manual and all that stuff. So I can still cancel it. I'll think about that. Because <laughs> do I just wait and just buy it for like five bucks on iTunes just to watch the unrated cut? Yeah. That seems that would be the more fiscally responsible thing. Because how much did you love Megan? I think you're just really getting wrapped up in the fact that you miss the kind of little neat little extras in the packaging. So you get sucked in by that stuff. Yeah. If you only kind of like the movie. I just bought the 4K of uh, House by the Cemetery, Lucio Fulci's set, because uh, I didn't have it in 4K. And but I, I also usually what I do is I trade in my old Blu-rays. I did that with Deep Red, Argento's film. But I I didn't do it with House by the Cemetery because that's the limited edition one that has the soundtrack, the CD soundtrack. It's not included in the 4K set. But I did look it up on eBay to see well how much is that Blu-ray set with the soundtrack going for online? Ten, fifteen bucks. So. <laughs> And I've already burned it to my computer, right. so I already have it digitally. Right. I don't know. I just got spooked by all the digital and, you know, the the less and less physical media being put out. And I just got nervous about it. I mean, have they ever really pulled back? There hasn't been a case of where, like, somebody bought a digital copy, whether it was through Voodoo or Ultraviolet or whatever, and they pulled it back. I've lost, I think, one thing so far. I can't even remember what it was at this point. Okay. But I did lose something from back. But this is back when I first bought it, like 2015. Okay. So maybe earlier. Yeah. Um, but yeah, which one too is like, an, you can go through your library and see, you know, when you bought something, when you redeemed something digitally mm-hmm. or bought it. So the, the first thing I'm on, that I have on here, I think I bought something before this, but it's gone. Do you have any idea what my first digital copy redeemed was? Uh, is it an Evil Dead? Is it a version of Evil Dead 2? No, no. 2008. There, there, there haven't been uh, digital copies for Evil Dead that I can get because they've always been put up by Lionsgate, who only does Voodoo, which Voodoo can kiss my butt. <laughs> 2008, Matt. Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised by how graphic it was, though the fake computer blood is a bit of a distraction. But I still enjoyed it. It is the fourth entry in this franchise. Okay. They did the final one. You should you could say the last one mm-hmm. about five years ago that I bought. I just bought that digitally. I didn't even buy the Blu-ray. 
This I, actor is known for two major franchises. One in the late 70s, and then through forever. And then this other franchise he's very famous for as well. I'm having a hard time here. I feel like I should know what it is, but I'm I'm reaching back into my brain. I'm like, four? Four entries. I don't know. What? Scream? No. Rambo. Ram- oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the fourth one there when he... Uh... Yeah, he helps the uh, missionaries. Yeah. And things go horribly, horribly wrong. As they're wont to do when you get involved with John Rambo. That's it. And then finally, Matt. There can be only one. I'm going to go with No Hard Feelings, which I have up on the calendar for us maybe to tackle. It's by the same people who did uh, Good Boys. Yeah. Oh, okay. And Scott Wampler, who I respect greatly uh, on the Twitterverse, said that it's a very, it's a solid film. It's solidly funny, but like two or three just like laugh out loud, like guffaw moments that had, that gutted him. Okay. So that's why I'm thinking, well, maybe we actually do check that out then. Okay. So uh, this is the film with uh, Jennifer Lawrence where she gets uh, hired to go on a date with, with this couple's young son who's very awkward and weird and stuff. So I'll take some bloopers, meet the characters, and some other stuff on that, Matt. Your 4K releases, the original Last House on the Left is being put out by Arrow. Includes two versions of the film, the theatrical cut and the unrated version. Uh, I've only owned Last House on the Left on DVD because mm-hmm. I always heard how notorious it was. Yeah. And I watched it and I'm like, ooh, I don't, I don't know if I ever want to watch this again. Not that it was so shocking that I couldn't handle it. Yeah. I think it's more, it's, it's, I don't know if it's as good as its reputation is. Right. And I honestly prefer The Virgin Spring, yeah, which is what the film was based off of anyway, mm-hmm. Bergman's film. What about you? Are you a Last House in the Left fan? Not really. I don't kind of like the... the yeah, it's it's okay. It's just uh, it's just nasty. It's not particularly fun to watch. Yeah. Also being released in 4K, Matt, Three Days with a Condor. A very good film. Um, a whole bunch of Chucky films. Bride Seed, Curse, and Cult. All uh, of Chucky all being released in 4K. You can buy a set from Scream Factory or all of them individually. Battlestar Galactica, the 78 TV show, Matt, okay. is getting a Best Buy Steel book as well as a traditional release in 4K. Travolta in Staying Alive. Uh, Hustle and Flow, a great little film from the, the early aughts. And then finally, uh, Lucio Fulci's City of the Living Dead is getting a standard release from Cauldron. Uh, so you can check that out as well. Pick it up on Diabolic DVD, Matt. Your straight to DVD pick of the week. This is one of the films, I think, opening Fantastic Fest, at least the reboot is. But you can pick it up now in 4K, or at least next week. Matt, he was 98 pounds of solid nerd until he became the Toxic Avenger, mm. the first superhero from New Jersey. It's a Toxic Avenger 4K selection. You get all the films. You get the unrated director's cut of the first film, and then you get part two, and you get you get 4Ks and Blu-rays. Uh, part three, The Last Temptation of Toxie, is included. Um, Toxic Avenger part four is in here, Citizen Toxie. And uh, that's it. You have um, what is behind the scenes stuff, a whole bunch of features. So if you're a Toxic Avenger fan, this is the set you've been waiting for. It includes, um, yeah, it's 4K scans and restorations for each film. I don't know how good they could really look, but <laughs> who knows? Commentaries on each disc, more. Matt, what should we be streaming this week? So actually, uh, full disclosure, I haven't actually seen this film yet, but this is a film that Chris has talked about incessantly that he really Ooh. wants to check out. The Pope's Exorcist, starring uh, Russell Crowe, doing mm. some kind of weird amount, you know, kind of a impression of an Italian accent, is uh, is available on Netflix. So now that I'm actually don't have to put forth any effort to go see it, I might actually watch this film. I think it's a good idea. I agree with you. And I am uh, two. Ep- I have two episodes to go on Stranger Things season four. Okay, and I'm really enjoying it, mm-hmm. except the stuff with Hopper in russia yeah is clearly just there to give the, those characters something to do right while all the other characters are dealing with the, the, the menace in hawkins yeah and it feels very much kind of like well what are we going to do with winona Ryder and, right. and yeah what are we going to do with them and that's what they came up with it, it very feels very tacked on but you know but i mean it, it's all building up to the last season so we'll see yeah and they're jumping ahead too right they're all going to be like real age right i guess right. in that one yeah yeah, yeah. All right, good. Well, I'm enjoying it, though. I'm, I'm very happy with it so far. I just had the big reveal of who the bad guy is. Mm-hmm. That's how it ended, so. Nice. That was good. Yeah, great. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt, let's close out the show.
and share our five favorite legacy superheroes. And we'll explain what that means if you don't already know next. To an unidentified male, this being is somehow able to harness... What do you think? I think this loose cannon needs to be locked down before innocent people start getting hurt. Oh, and good morning to you, too. Shove it up your ass, Carter. He's been asleep for 5,000 years. He'll be disoriented at first. The longer he has to adapt, the harder it will be to take him down. Wheels up in 30. Let's go, Hawkman. That's Carter Hall. Aldous Hodges as Hawkman. I think one of the more interesting and fun things about Black Adam, mm-hmm. obviously Matt and I think both agree that Dr. Fate was the best thing that come out of that film. Yeah. And he gets capped um, near the end, <laughs> right? So Right. That's that. We'll have to see. Hopefully he gets rebooted in the James Gunn verse. So, Matt, Hawkman's an honorable mention for me. The problem is we're talking about legacy superheroes or villains. You're talking about basically other people who have assumed the mantle of pre-existing heroes. So the thing with Hawkman is that there's been... You want to talk about a, a superhero with a really messed up kind of history. Oof, you can't go much worse than Hawkman. They've tried to reboot it and explain it over and over again. I think the JSA run did a reasonably good job with it, uh, kind of explaining why there have been so many different Hawkmans, and either is he an alien, or is he like an Egyptian guy, or is he what's going on? You know, is he reincarnated, all that stuff. So, but yeah. So, my Hawk, I think the Hawkman that I would include would probably be the Joe Kubert run from the late or mid, yeah, mid 80s. Versus like the Shadow War and all that stuff, probably. And I think that is a reincarnated reincarnated version of the JSA Hawkman. So I don't know if reincarnation. I think reincarnation probably don't don't count because it's the same guy, right? Just kind of come back. Yeah, uh, I never really put that in much like thought a number, into it. But I guess bottle? yes. But now Body? that we're talking about it, yes, I would say that doesn't really count. All right. So who goes first this week? You or me? Uh, is know. it me? I don't is know. It you? you always decide. You you pick. All right. Um, I guess, Matt, you go first. Okay. What's your number five? All right. My number five, then, is a villain-turned-anti-hero. Um, so, Eddie Brock is Venom, correct? Um, he's been Venom for a while. Well, in the Marvel comics, um, the government got a hold of the Venom, the Venom symbiote, and uh, they decided, let's put it into one of our army guy cia agents who just happens to be peter parker's old high school nemesis flash thompson where they make flash thompson into agent venom where he's basically uh again a government uh you know sanctioned murderer does uh, all this kinds of stuff with the powers of venom and it's actually pretty cool because he doesn't have like the teeth and the tongue and all that kind of stuff he just looks like you know uh, a dude in a, in a black suit and everything like that. It's it's actually a pretty fun um, idea and take on what you could do with uh, the Venom symbiote. That sounds stupid. <laughs> it's Matt. What? Why is it Flash? I I I don't know. Like basically, outside of tying it into Spider Man, some capacity. I mean, I I guess it's because you know they took Flash and he'd been hanging around and I guess he joined the military at some point and somebody said hey oh did he yeah I mean he was a he was a teacher for a while and then I think they retconned him into like the military and then they you know I guess some writer had the broad idea to put the two of them together oh I didn't know that you always they could have done like Man Wolf right J. Jonah Jameson's kid he was what is he in the Navy in the Air Force I can't remember what it was Air Force and he found that Moonstone that yeah. turned him into the werewolf guy yeah, Man Wolf yeah. Wow, I hate that idea because I, I mean I don't like I like the concept of it, but mm-hmm. I, I don't like that it was Flash. So if it was any, if it would have been fine if it wasn't Flash. Yeah, like if it was like MJ, sure that makes sense. No, like nobody. It, it should have just been like a, a rando guy. Okay, that's all. All right. That's some, but I guess you got to tie your stuff in. I don't. Who knows? Who knows? I don't understand. That's why I don't make the big bucks, Matt. My number five is the only MCU guy I have on my list. Okay. That's a pretty big one, and it's James Rhodes, Rhodey Iron Man. Mm. He uh, takes over for Tony Stark because Tony's uh, having a rough time, Matt. He, his Obadiah Stane has taken his company from him. He's lost his money. He has hit the bottle. He's off the wagon. He can't be Iron Man anymore, and Rhodey now is running the show. And the reason why is because I think what got me in the comics first, it was the introduction of the black suited Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I saw that cover at the at my local uh, um, convenience store, and I grabbed it, and I thought that was what a cool looking suit. 
And I started reading that, and then I picked up Secret Wars, yeah. and Rhodey was the Iron Man in Secret Wars. Okay. And uh, and I kind of ran from. Then I started reading Iron Man, which I really enjoyed. By the time, but that that point, Stark kind of came back and took over again as Iron Man. Mm-hmm. So, but either way, I've always really enjoyed Rhodey. I think that I don't know if I enjoy him as much in the MCU films, but uh, still, he's my number five. We're gonna talk about a legacy character. He was legit. Took over for a long time, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, now he's the War Machine guy. And I like too that. I guess the way they came up to, to put Tony Stark back in is, I guess, is the way the helmet was like designed for Tony Stark in his brain patterns or okay. something, brainwave patterns and stuff. And it was starting to drive Rhodey insane. Okay. Because it wasn't adapted for him. But you think they would have thought of that at his time? You would think. But, but I mean, Tony was a complete drunk. I mean, that's all demon in a, that's that's demon in a bottle days, right? Is that what that was? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, very good. Um, all right, so my number Uh-oh. my number four then is no, it's I, Iron Man does not make a list on the list. Okay, um, so my number four then was kind of a reinvention. Some would say a what's the word I'm looking for here? Nineties of nineties vacation of a of a classic oh. character. Um, gone were his little boy shorts and his tiny little cape. Um, when they brought Tim Drake around as Robin, the replacement for the brutally murdered Jason Todd by the Joker, mm. um, that the fans voted that he be killed because they hated him so much. And he basically had the, you know, more of a Batman type suit, much more tactical. He had, uh, uh, you know, a Donatello stick. He had a long, um, Donatello. <laughs> he, had a, he had a long, uh, long cape and he was much more of his time, but at the time, it was a conscious effort to move Robin away from the kind of weenie boy wonder that he had been. Um, you know, even though Nightwing is cool, like old Robin is just kind of cringe. And they were kind of moving away from that and kind of making more mm-hmm. uh, the idea of Robin as being more of a an actual successor as opposed to just kind of a true sidekick. As somebody who's more capable than, uh, you know, in the Bat family. That is a great pick, man. It's my number four as well. Oh, okay. Look at you. Look at us. So, yeah, I read that Robin miniseries, I guess, where he was... It was introduced in the miniseries? I can't remember. I remember reading Robin. I, I honestly, I don't remember, but that's the first time I remember. I remember it coming out, and it was like a big deal. Yeah, yeah. I, I But I, I like you, I enjoyed the redesign, and I, I don't think I called at the time but i was reading batman at, mm. at those days jim aparo illustrated batman there denny o'neill and all them that was more i like detective more i liked uh i just like graham nolan's not graham nolan who am I, norm brayfogel's mm-hmm. batman mm-hmm. design more than i like aparo's but i appreciate aparo's much more now than i did when i was a kid but um yeah that was like the kgb run yeah. too that was really cool <laughs> yeah. but no yeah tim drake was great i think it helped pick i think it, i don't know if it fixed the thing with with uh, um, now I'm blanking on the kid's name, Jason Todd. Yeah, and even Jason Todd doesn't really even die, right? So yeah, they basically retconned where he wasn't killed, but that was much much later when they brought him back as the Red Hood. Yeah. So, but no, I think Tim Drake is one of the more successful uh, one of these, and may even be well, no, he's not the most successful. Probably my number one, though. My number one got screwed over, so mm. maybe not. So yeah, but I agree, Tim Drake four. All right, so my number three then is. The replacement in the ultimate universe of my favorite character, my favorite um, superhero, and that's Miles Morales as Spider-Man. Now, I know for a lot of people, especially the younger generation, Miles is becoming more popular than Peter. But for me, Peter Parker will always be my Spider-Man, but I do Hmm. really enjoy the adventures of Miles. I'm glad they kind of brought him into the main main Marvel universe um, with comic book shenanigans. And I think he's just a a fun take on... uh, Marvel on, uh, on, sorry, on Marvel, on Spider-Man, kind of bringing it back to the young kid because Peter has kind of moved on to adulthood kind of thing. So he's in, all right, so I know it was a different Peter, right? An ultimate Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, but Miles showed up in that one because I, I stopped reading the Marvel comics, well, comics generally too. Yeah, so. so the thing was, so in the early 2000s, Marvel, what Marvel wanted to do they came up with this idea of starting over their most popular properties because people 
you know, they'd been running for, you know, 60 years at that point, And it was confusing for people. So it was a high bar to entry. So they kind of wanted to start over fresh mm-hmm. and a completely separate universe. And they came out with Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate X-Men, uh, the Ultimate Fantastic Four, and the Ultimate Avengers. And, and which is the Ultimate. Yeah, which yeah. is the Avengers. Three of those are middling to not good. The only one that was good was Ultimate Spider-Man. Ran for 100 issues with kind of Peter Parker, told a lot of his classic stories or retold them in a kind of more modern spin. And then at the 100th 100th, uh, issue, he was killed off and Miles replaced him in that universe. Miles became so popular that when they closed the Ultimate line, they they did some comic book shenanigans to bring him over into the main Marvel universe so he could interact with the 30-something Peter Parker. Huh. I did not know that they killed that other Spider-Man, mm-hmm. Ultimate Spider-Man off. Yeah, they did. Interesting. Wow, look at you. All right. My number three, then, is the only villain on my list, okay. and that is Zoom. Mm. This is the the villain to uh, the Wally West Flash. This is Jeff Johns' run, but unlike uh, the reverse Flash, Zoom really has the same costume, basically, except he doesn't have the open eyes. He has a, a black lens over it mm-hmm. and then, like, a little pink dots for his eyes he doesn't move fast he's not super speed he actually travels through time he's able to kind of jump in time basically Mm -hmm. so it's not technically speed and the difference here too is that he was a i can't remember what it was like he was a he was a police officer or or criminologist something that effect but he worked at central city in the police and wally wally west flash failed to kind of save him and, and save him from being seriously injured. So due to a time travel accident, which, you know, happens all the time, he develops these powers and decides to help Wally West Flash become a better superhero by challenging him all the time. And that's where Zoom comes from. And I just love the redesign. I love the slight, slight tweak to the powers and the story. And now you have a reverse Flash basically for Wally West Flash and but a really fun scary villain too as well so yeah that's my three zoom all right my number two then again this is a sounds very 90s but it actually was into the kind of 2000s into the the mid 2010s um is the cassandra kane version of batgirl which interestingly enough is the first batgirl with her own series uh it was not barbara gordon did not have her own series for a long time um, but essentially what she, Cassandra Kane is, is she is raised, um, or she's the child of, uh, Lady Shiva and David Kane, two assassins. They decide, of course, as parents are wont to do, to encourage their kid to follow in the family footsteps. So they train her to be a human, you know, weapon kind of thing. Very, um, messed up mentally as far as uh, the stuff that they make her do. She gets into, um... You know, Bruce Wayne kind of comes across her. He takes her under his proverbial wing and she becomes the newest version of Batgirl who is terrifying and a complete, um, completely different than any of the other black girls that were around before, which again was much more lighthearted, much more focused on the teen aspect, whereas she is more of a, you know, uh, a, a hunter in the night who brutalizes criminals uh, silently kind of thing. And I thought it was uh, an interesting take on Batgirl and the costume is wicked cool because it's completely blacked out. She's basically looks like Batman, but the cowl has her face, the bottom of her face covered. So she has no mouth. So she just mm-hmm. looks like it's all black. It's cool. Yeah. I, I, I know that I get why a lot of people were a little disappointed with the Cassandra Cannon they got in the birds of prey movie. Mm-hmm. Cause she's, she's just not that character right. in any capacity. Right. No, I, was, I was she very... mute? Uh, I thought she was mute or something. She was mute. It no? wasn't that she was mute that she couldn't talk. She just never had any human contact, so she just never did. She just didn't. She just didn't. Never really learned how to speak because I thought she was incapable. She just never spoke for a while there. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. My number two, you'd think would be my number one, but it's my number two, and that's Jack Knight, Starman. My uh, probably my favorite comic run uh, by James Robinson and Tony Harris. Mm-hmm. About Jack Knight, who takes over for the role. Uh, well, his father, of course, is the classic JS, JSA, Golden Age, Starman. And he's older. He's retired. He now just kind of tinkers and invents things and stuff. And his eldest son, David, takes over the moniker, the mantle of Starman. And then basically is immediately assassinated. <laughs> and uh, Jack, then, the youngest brother who doesn't really want to be a superhero, grabs the rod 
and goes to try and find out what happened to his to his brother and protect his father and kind of stumbles into this superhero life and he does it for a little while and then he says you know what i'm good he has a son and he retires and that's it james robinson had a very set story it has a beginning middle and an ending and that's basically been it. We've gotten little things every now and then where he'd pop up like in an issue of the JSA or there'd be mention of him, whatever the case may be. But they basically shifted the star person entity over to the, um, now I'm blanking on her name, which is one of Jeff Johns' creations. And she actually had her own show on uh, HBO Max for a while there. So, Star Girl? Which I, sorry, Star Girl, yeah. Star Girl? Okay. But I'm trying to remember her actual name, uh, like her character name. I don't remember. I, I and I couldn't remember what it was. So, there you go. I heard their show was actually pretty good. They, they think they did three seasons of it. Okay. So, but yeah. But Starman, Jack Knight, that's my number two. Really? That's like your favorite. I'm surprised it didn't uh, mm-hmm. make it to number one. Mm-hmm. All right. So, then my number one then is um, uh, a comic book series that I'm very fond of that a lot of people aren't. And I'm kind of hoping that we'll get a better version of it uh, someday on the big screen. Or even the small screen. I'll take that as well. Uh, but I am talking about the Robbie Reyes version of Ghost Rider. Uh, so a, the original Ghost Rider is stuntman Johnny Blaze. He rides a motorcycle. It's a kind of a chopper Harley style motorcycle. He has a bunch of 70s adventures. And then in the 90s, they rebooted it with the Danny Ketch Ghost Rider, which is an honorable mention for me. You know, much sleeker, faster bike kind of thing. Again, you know, uh, but in the same vein, not a stunt rider, but it's still a motorcycle kind of uh, biker kind of vengeance thing. Um, and then they gave us Robbie Reyes, which was a completely different uh, set of ideas of what his motivations were. And just the fact that his ride is a is a hellfire imbued Dodge Charger is chef's kiss. I love it. It's so cool as, as far as his design. Um, it's very cool. I, I really enjoy Ghost Rider. Um, so I just thought, you know, when we were talking about this, I was like, "That man, it's got to be my number one." That's a good one. Yeah, I read the Danny Ketch uh, Ghost Rider series. Mm-hmm. I think Mark Teixeira, he, he yeah. illustrated that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and and you're Robbie Reyes guy. He was in the Agents of Shield show. He was. For season yeah, two. he was actually pretty good. Uh, that was a pretty well done version of Ghost Rider. Yeah, I was impressed with the effects too for mm-hmm. the flaming head. Yeah, that is a great visual, dear yeah. lord. That is a, a rock solid one. So my number one then is uh, Wally West okay. as the Flash. Okay, and I feel that that was the series that brought me back into comics. Was uh, um, I don't know if it was Terminal Velocity, but then I just was absorbing as much of that Wally West Flash run as I could, and then eventually I found Starman after that, but. I still get so upset about what they did by bringing back Barry Allen. Mm -hmm. Because Wally West, that whole arc with him was all about him becoming, coming into his own, becoming the Flash, getting out of Barry Allen's shadow, and then boom, he gets put right back into it. And then they did, I think they did was, I think I read it too, was it last year, two years ago? They did some limited series where he killed somebody in some kind of weird trance type thing. I don't I don't even remember what it was. It right. infuriated me. I did. I don't know if I even finished it. I was so upset with it. But uh, still, you. I think out of all the legacy superheroes, Wally West Flash has been the most has been the most consistent. At least it was the most consistent, strong, entertaining series. And it had that had that fantastic Mark Mark Wade run, that fantastic Jeff Johns run, and then I kind of drifted away from comics again. I got to a point where I just couldn't. I had to choose Matt movies or comics, which what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but there it is. Wally West Flash is my number one. Matt, any, any honorable mentions for you? Yeah. So I mentioned Danny Ketch as the Ghost Rider. Um, yep. These are kind of different. Uh, the Kane version of the Scarlet Spider, I think, is very cool. Um, more of a kind of again, uh, more of a brutal. Uh, gloomy brooding version of spider-man uh i like spider gwen the different version of spider woman um jane foster as the mighty thor was cool uh kate bishop hawkeye um carol danvers is not the first captain marvel so she would technically be the the second captain marvel um and then i put in hal jordan is obviously he there's a lot of green lanterns but I think my favorite is Hal Jordan, and he is the second one, but he's also the kind of the definitive one, so I had to just put him in the in the uh, uh, honorable mentions. 
Yeah, I I agree with you with Hal. I was trying to figure out what to do with that yeah. as well because he's the one. Well, I don't know. I mean, if you grew up watching the animated series, John Stewart's your Green Lantern, right? Right. right. But for me, Hal Jordan was Green Lantern, and then Alan Scott. Yeah, I mean, but technically, you're right. He's he is a legacy character. Um, I had Kamala Khan, Miss mm-hmm. Marvel. I really, but that's because just saying how much I enjoyed that show. Yeah. Um, when Dick Grayson was Batman, yeah, he's I think twice he did a Batman run, which I enjoyed. John Stewart, uh, uh, Miles Morales is on my list, Matt. So there you go. The uh, Doctor Midnight reboot. I enjoyed him as well as Mr. Terrific. A lot of the JSA guys, Dr. Fate, uh, but more uh, Hector Hall and not so much the Kent V. Nelson. I really like Kate Spencer Manhunter. Did you ever mm. read that Manhunter show? Mm. I mean, that comic with Kate Spencer? I did not, know. She was a prosecutor, and I guess some case went horribly wrong, and the murderer got off, so she went and hunts him down and kills him. <laughs> okay. And then she starts to, yeah, it, it was pretty good. It was a really critically acclaimed comic that people didn't read and it was canceled basically after three years uh jason rush as firestorm and then i think i talked about it before chronos mm-hmm. um i think it only ran about 11 episodes 11 issues i should say uh chronos was a villain and there's a guy who kind of found the technology and he was a thief and he ends up kind of being an anti-hero doing the right thing while he's like you know stealing a clock from the 14th century or something like that and then this one man i go back and forth on i'm curious i don't know if you read this or not but hal jordan's specter uh, no, I didn't know he was the Spectre for a while. Yeah, that was his um, penance for destroying Coast City, even though it was, what, the, uh, uh, whatever it is, a crazy yellow monster thing that yeah. affects your soul with fear. I yeah, the I forgot now. the name of it, too. It's it's on the tip of my tongue. It's not, it, be, it ends with an X. Parallax. Parallax, yes, that's it, yes. So, but yeah, it was, it was okay. Yeah. It was okay. I, I like the idea of it. I just don't know if it was executed really well. Well, that's just can say that a lot about comics, can't you? Yes, you can. What's your favorite legacy superhero or villain? Just an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. We'd love to hear from you. Matt, what's tentatively coming up next week? Well, tentatively, it looks like we're trying to catch up with some stuff that's been around for a little while that we haven't seen. Looks like in the docket is Bo is Afraid, and then paired with they cloned Tyrone. Yeah, I'm open, Matt, to any of this stuff. If you want to swap out and do the Pope's Exorcist, if you, I, I don't know if we even want to go back to two films yet. Yeah, it's up to things uh, are pretty busy for me right now, but I don't know. Or, or do you want to do Gran Turismo or the latest Liam Neeson actioner? <laughs> Liam Neeson actioners are supposed to come out in January. I don't know how to react to the fact that it's at the dog days of summer. Yeah. So, all right. So, I don't know. It'll be a surprise for everybody. Maybe even Matt and I. <laughs> In the meantime, you can check us out at thefirstrun.com. You can find archives of all the old shows. Uh, head over to uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Do a search for The First Run. Uh, scroll enough, we'll pop right up. Head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review to help other people find the show. Matt, and I guess that's, uh, that's going to be it for this week. I want to thank everybody for listening. We love you very much. Take care of yourselves, and we will see you soon. He's stressing me, Julie. He is stressing me. Oh, Bozo. I can't take it, Julie. I cannot take it. He is screwing up my karma. Ah!